Holy God, we enter into your presence with great expectations. May the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So I remember the day when uh, three young men who showed up in our church didn't look anything like us. They, were, they had backpacks on, they had uh, uh, hair down to their shoulders, and they had a, a light layer of kind of street grime on them, and they showed up and sat among us. Well, it was obvious that they didn't look like us. Uh, they probably weren't from Jacksboro, and yet uh, they um, just became a part of us that morning. As we learned more about their story, they were three young men who decided to take a pilgrimage to lean into God's love and God's light into the world and to rely fully on the generosity of others. And they embarked upon a pilgrimage that would take them from New York City or the New York area where they lived down through the southern part of the United States and across over all the way to California. Now what we learned was that during that time they had to rely fully on what, what others would give them. They brought no food with them. They did have backpacks and so they had clothing and they had, um, they had electronics so they uploaded their blogs so that people could follow them. They uh, did have uh, tents and things to sleep in. But they relied fully on others so that they didn't eat if, if people didn't share with them, share a meal with them. They also, it meant that if it was raining and cold outside and no one offered them uh, a place to sleep, shelter, well, they slept in those tents. But it also meant that they lived graciously and fully into the generosity of others and learned to not only share the light of Christ with them, but also um, let those people share their own light with them and shape them and form them. Now, when they arrived at our, uh, at our worship service, it happened to be a day when we were going to have a potluck meal anyway, so we invited them and we fed them before they left, but we fed them out of the fullness of what was already going to be. And yet they were gracious and kind. When Mother Teresa was asked what it was that drove her to be kind to those people who had been brushed aside by society, those people who laid in the gutters, those people who in their world were untouchable and unseen, she said, because when I look in their eyes, I see Jesus. I see Jesus' light. And that's what these three young men did. They were looking for Jesus' light in the generosity of others. But here's the deal. Sometimes those people who seem to be unseen by the, by the world, those who are pushed to the margins, those who rely on the generosity of others, actually see more clearly than we do. And such is the story with blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is found in, in Mark's Gospel in the 10th chapter, verses 46 through 52. So as I read this story this morning, I want you to listen with new ears. It's a story we are familiar with. But listen with new ears on the generosity of Jesus and Bartimaeus. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timerius, a blind beggar, 
was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprung up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he gained his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. So, by all practical means, Bartimaeus was faceless. He was one of the many beggars that sat outside the walls of the city, the city of Jericho, on the side of the skinny little pathways that move in people through those, those gates. And he begged. He was blind. We learned that he was blind. And he had a cloak that he put around him. But he knew something that the others didn't. Mark tells us the name of Bartimaeus. Now this is significant because in all other cases when Jesus heals the blind or the sick, there is no name attached to the individual. But with Bartimaeus, he has a name. I think that's because for Bartimaeus, he brings a special sense of understanding of who Christ is. So we have just finished, we didn't read it, but we just finished a passage in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus' disciples are kind of arguing with each other. Who's going to be at the left and who's going to be at the right when Jesus comes into this power of ruler in the community? And so Jesus says, you're getting it all wrong. And that's how Mark teaches us. Almost always throughout the entire Gospel of Mark, the disciples are the last ones to get it. Even the reading audience gets it long before they get it. And so Bartimaeus gets it. When Jesus comes through those gates, Bartimaeus knows exactly who it is. The disciples have not yet realized who this Messiah is. Not really. They think this Messiah is a worldly king. But Barnabas knows it is the Messiah, calls him son of David. Have mercy on me. He knows that Jesus, the Messiah, can give him mercy. And so he yells it out. He's persistent. When they shush him the first time, he yells it even louder. He is consistent. He knows he wants the attention of Jesus. And then when the crowd shushes him, Jesus stands still. I love that. It says, Jesus stood still. It's like Jesus stopped everything and listened. And listened to that one small voice that was louder than anyone else in the crowd. That one small voice who totally got it. And he says, bring him to me. At that point, Bartimaeus throws off his cloak and he springs up and he runs to Jesus. 
he springs up and he runs to Jesus. And then Jesus asks this very odd question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Well, as I thought about that question this week, it occurred to me, I'm not sure I would even know how to answer that. I'm not sure if Jesus walked through those doors right there and came down this center aisle and said, Cassie, what do you want me to do for you? I would have an answer. And I think the reason I don't have an answer is because I don't know that I am blind. Perhaps those who were following along with Jesus didn't know they were blind either. That's kind of the way the world is. Sometimes we don't know what we need. We don't know how we might be different until we see it in someone else. And I'm not talking about things. I'm not talking about position. I'm not talking about power. I'm talking about a relationship, a relationship not only with Christ, a relationship that goes so deeply that it, that it precedes the person in the way that they live their life the generous ways that they live their life. Our daughter Amber was 14 when she went on her first youth mission trip. They spent the year preparing and getting ready to go on the Appalachian Service Project. This is a project for people to come in groups, work groups, to work on homes in some of the poorest parts of our country, the Appalachian Mountains. And so uh, she uh, loaded up with, I don't know how many, 30-some other kids and, and, uh, and buses full of tools and supplies and wood, and they went off and they built and helped people repair their homes. When she came back that, at the end of a week, she got in the car and we were asking her about her experience and what she learned from that experience. And, and something stuck with me about the way she talked about it. She said, Mom, you know... People say these, that people in the Appalachian Mountains are poor, but I think they're rich in ways that we don't even imagine. What that experience had taught her, what that experience had helped her discover was the depth of meaning from family and from music and from simplicity. A way of life that was not dependent upon position and power and things. When we go on our mission trips, friends, we move in and out of the lives of people that we help, and surely they are grateful. The people of the Appalachian Mountains are extremely grateful for the help and the assistance that they have in making their homes working and their shelters safe again. But the greatest lesson is not what we leave with them. It's what they leave with us. When we move in and out of their lives, what happens is a transformation of our own life. The realization that giving selflessly in acts of generosity changes not someone else, but it changes ourselves. And so these acts of generosity begin to shape the way that we see the world the way that we understand the world. One nail at a time, one board at a time, one bag of groceries at a time, one dollar at a time, one act of generosity, I mean kindness at a time. Um, uh, 
Monique was sharing about her husband Terry and how he drops everything to change a tire, to give his time to help his neighbor build something. These generous acts of selflessness, of our time, of our energy, of our dollars, they begin to shape us, not those we help, so much as it shapes us. This story of blind Bartimaeus is so much more than a story of healing. It's a story about transformation. When Bartimaeus throws off his cloak, I am absolutely confounded by this, this passage in the text. He throws off this cloak and he springs up and he moves directly to Jesus. The one he cannot see, he moves directly to him. It is as if he has left everything behind. He has left his cloak, a cloak that was probably the only thing he had, the only thing that protected him from the elements, the only thing that protected him from the indifference of the people that walked by. He drops it. He leaves it behind, and he encounters the living Christ standing there in front of him. And when that living Christ asks him this very odd question of what can I do for you, Bartimaeus never hesitates. He knows that he's blind. And he says to Jesus, he says, Teacher, let me see again. Let me recognize the gifts of sight once again so that you might heal my blindness. His spiritual sight led him to, um, to the fullness of restoration of his physical sight. Practicing generosity. Practicing generosity in our lives, practicing it so that we pass it along to our children, practicing it in such a way that we pass it along to the children of our church. It shapes us. It forms us. It absolutely gives us sight. Sight that we did not know we did not have. Practicing this generosity gives us vision. It helps us with clarity of what the world needs, how we might live into the Jesus role, how we might say, what is it that I can do for you to our neighbor? Today we stand at a crossroads. In this series, we have talked about our generations that came before and built this wonderful foundation upon which we live. We have talked about how we have learned to be a generous church, and now we look at who we are becoming through acts of generosity. We also stand at a crossroads, a very real crossroads in our, in our world, friends. This pandemic has turned things upside down. It has left us with so many questions that we don't even know the ways in which we are blind. This is our opportunity to, to let Jesus ask us, what can I do for you? And we can be clear about our blindness. Give us eyes to see, O oh Lord. Help us shape this church, shape this community in new ways that make a difference in the community. I wonder if we know that we are blind. I wonder if we would know if Jesus came in the back doors of this church and walked down and turned around and said, Church, what can I do for you? I wonder if we have the answer. 
I think we do. Teach us, O oh Christ, to be generous, and everything will fall into place. May it be so. Amen. <laughs>